what the the audacity mm-hmm. for for this playwright and for um the characters in the show to suggest maybe forgiveness might be a good thing when this terrible terrible thing has happened um is is a i think a really important and uh meaningful um story to be telling everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jackson Nikolai. And I'm Hannah Barker Nikolai. Yes, welcome, Hannah, to the show. Hello. Hello. Uh, if, if that moment surprised you, as uh, as normally, Jacob Mann Christensen comes on at this point of the show and says his name, etc., etc., then... Uh, well, surprise. Um, <laughs> we have reached uh, one of the hallmarks of the show, one of the kind of waystones of our of our uh, season, um, and that is the special guest episode here at the second to last episode of the season. We're having Hannah Barker-Nikolai on the show, and uh, as you've probably smoothly deduced um, uh, by virtue of the shared last name, there's some relation there, and that is that Hannah and I are married. Indeed, that Indeed. is true. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm super excited to have you on the show because uh, it's been it's been a while. We've I mean we're at season ten, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you've been along along for the ride of the show, but haven't been in it yet. And you're uh, I, I want to just give you a chance to introduce yourself just a little bit and some of your theater stuff that you do and and uh, yeah, just just uh, other than us being married, how you've wound up on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I'm Hannah. Um, I have uh, an undergraduate degree in theater from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Um, I grew up in a very theatery family, so I have been watching plays and uh, been involved with plays basically for as long as I can remember. Um and uh, something, uh, it I sort of inherited that from my parents, who were both uh, theater professors. Um, but what when I sort of started to make it my own, what uh, another thing that I really love is poetry, and uh, performance poetry kind of became a thing that I um, dabbled in and uh, claimed a little bit more as uh, the the area that I'm passionate about and excited about and um so I um I do poetry I do theater um yes I had an end of that thought and it left me so (laughs) I'm I'm really excited to to be here talking about these this script today um theater's awesome and uh at this particular moment in my life I don't get to be super active um even though I have been very active in the past so I'm I'm excited to be here today 
Yeah, super excited to have you, Theater. Uh, we we met each other. Here's your cutesy story for the day. We met each other on a traveling theater troupe. So, um, uh, yeah, ex- really excited to have you um, on the show. And we're going to be talking about a play that actually you selected today that you kind of brought to our attention. Um, and uh, we're talking today, if you haven't already noticed in the title of this uh, podcast, we're talking about Frozen by Bryony e. Lavery today. And I want to just give you a chance at the start of the show without getting too much into like the play itself so far um why did this play stand out to you as as a play that you wanted to talk about on the show yeah for sure um ooh, that's such a good question i'm trying to figure out how to answer it without uh talking about the play um you can talk about it a little, I, a little we, bit. we almost always give away more than okay, we intend at the great. beginning <laughs> perfect um so being being a poetry person um this is one of those plays that on the page uh, is formatted in a more poetic format. You wouldn't necessarily know that if you were watching this play, um, but I think that the playwright uh, chose to do that. Um, it, it just offers the actors uh, and the director and the designers um, a, an interesting opportunity to interact with those uh, line breaks and things that they use in a particular way and let that inform uh, the choices they make as designers and performers. Um, so a little bit of that and also one other thing that I really love about the script is um, the the way that they tell the story is sort of via monologue. Um, it's these three characters that sort of you, you weave in and out of each person's story but they are connected, eventually become more connected uh, which is just a mode of storytelling that I really love. So um, that's a little bit about why I chose this this particular script today. Yeah, thanks so much for for bringing it. I'm I'm excited about the kind of poetry aspect of it, both bec- both because of your expertise in in poetry, but also the way that uh, we often talk about on the show that uh, we obviously read the scripts <laughs> for each of the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while while theater, of course, is is meant to be seen, is meant to be on its feet and embodied, um, uh, the the act of reading plays is is awesome. Um, and so a play like this that really takes advantage of the layout and and the poetry Poetry of words um, is is an exciting play to get to talk about. So thank you for bringing it to our attention. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to. Yeah, of course. Um, I do want uh, right away at the start of the show. I think I'll just get this out of the way right away at the beginning. Um, this is a play about a pretty sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this this play. If you know anything about Frozen, you kind of know some of it. We'll get into the synopsis and stuff later. But just wanted to give a quick content warning at the at the get go of this play. Um, this is a play that deals with serial killers. This is a play that uh, deals with sexual abuse. This is a, a play that deals with violence. Um, this is a play that deals with pretty significant grief and the process and the various ways that forgiveness and uh, and blame and all of these things play into that uh, process. So um, if those sorts of thing, things... Oh, also uh, another part of the content is also this this play deals with the, the issue of suicide as well. So if that kind of scope of, of topic is not what you uh, have signed up for for today, that's A-OK. Uh, you can uh, listen to any of the other episodes of the season or just wait till another day to engage this podcast because Hannah's not on any of those episodes and it'll be fun to hear what she is to say. So um, just, just starting out, be warned um, if, this, if that's not what you're wanting to hear today, maybe pick another day to listen to it. But we're going to jump into the conversation 
Before we do, though, as is our normal practice on the show, we want to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast for being patrons of the show. Thank you all so much. It means so much to have you be a part of these seasons, to uh, uh, to uh, be a part of the themed months and the special guest episodes. They're only possible because of our patrons over at patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Um, whether you're a longtime listener to the show or or whether you're just tuning into this one because Hannah's on it, um, <laughs> uh, uh, you, you may have heard that we while we love getting to have these conversations, uh, love getting to talk about scripts, loving, love getting to talk about a wide variety of scripts, um, it is a last not an, a free endeavor. There are some costs associated with both the recording of a show, uh, the hosting of a show, time into that, and also the purchasing of scripts and things like that, and the patrons make it possible for us to do. So if you're looking for a way to help out the show, if you're looking for a way just to get involved more in the show, head on over to Patreon and see the various options we have. For as low as $1, $12 over the course of the year, we've committed to that amount. Um, you can really help out the show a lot, and you find, you'll find that $1 tier over there access to patron-only posts, and then a bunch of other tiers as well um, for other rewards and things like that. But looking for a way to help out the show, that's the way to do it. Um, Thank you to all of our patrons who have already become patrons of the show. Head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, and we will see you over there. And now, back to the script. Uh, this is this is always a fun part of the guest episodes. You get to see uh, Jacob or I do kind of ninety percent of our our run through comments at the start of the yes, show. It's delightful, which is fun. Um, uh, we're just gonna jump into the context of this show a little bit. Hannah has um uh, gamely volunteered to give us the synopsis, so you won't have to listen to me for the, the the whole intro to the show here. Um, but I am just gonna give you a little bit of introduction into. Uh, this play that we're talking about today, we're talking about Frozen, again, by Brian E. Lavery. And um, Brian E. Lavery is uh, a really, uh, uh, I believe this is the first time we're talking about uh, her play on the show. She's a British dramatist. Her most most well-known play is Frozen, the one that we're talking about today. However, I believe uh, she has, I think 40 is the number I saw, 40 other plays that she has written. She's a very prolific playwright. Um has uh, kind of continued to write about or, or wrote before the writing of Frozen and continued to write after. Um, uh, her most uh, recent productions other than Frozen are plays like uh, The Believers, plays like uh, she's done a number of stage adaptions as well. She's done A Christmas Carol, Treasure Island, Brighton Rock, Lovely Bones, um, uh, a, a large a large assortment of these plays. And and. Uh, I'll eventually talk about the National Theatre just a little bit, as that's the one, the, the theatre uh, in England, in, in London, that put on this show eventually. But she's continued that relationship with the National Theatre with um, uh, plays like Treasure Island being produced there. So, um, uh, great playwright for that, a UK-based playwright. Um, uh, she also has a 2007 uh, kind of... Uh, uh, translation of Chekhov's on Kovanya. Um, so, so uh, all sorts of good stuff there. Um, I'm going to talk just a little bit about this play in particular. Um, Frozen uh, is uh, the, the play that we're talking about today. It's a play from uh, originally uh, 1998. Um, uh, that that's kind of the uh, inception of the show. Um, that that first kind of production of the show took place at the Birmingham Repertory Theater. It won the Best Play Award from the Theatrical Management Association in that year, and then it continued uh, to kind of be worked on and and produced eventually in 2002 at the National Theater's 
Cutslow Theater, which I believe I've seen a play in. I can't quite remember, but I've seen a couple of shows at the National Theater, and it was it's it's fun to kind of make that connection. It then opened off-Broadway in February of 2004 at the Manhattan Class Company Theater. Um, and uh, that production was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Play, and it, uh, it won a Tony Award for Best Featured Actor. So, so this play was very well lauded um, uh, at that time. And uh, interestingly, I, I did just, in, in the kind of researching of this play, um, part of this play's story is that uh, Bryony Lavery um, uh, kind of rode out some... Uh, accusations of plagiarism around this play um and it kind of occurred right after that broadway uh, production um th this i'm not going to spend too much time on it in this podcast because i think it's going to take us away from the actual content of the script to talk about it um but it's well documented interestingly it's kind of wrapped up with malcolm gladwell and some uh articles that he wrote um the the charges of plagiarism were around uh these characters are not um Mm, it's, it's kind of complicated. These characters are based upon uh, real stories that Lavery interacted with. However, it's not in any way supposed to be a biography. These are not the names of the characters or in real life or anything like that. However, through the process of this investigation, it became clear that she was very inspired by a number of people. Um, if you want to get into it, Gladwell has a number of great pieces. Uh, he has a New Yorker article about it. Uh, you can search it. Just search Malcolm Gladwell, Brian E. Lavery. It's all going to come up. It's a really interesting uh, kind of talk about how plagiarism exists. And um, uh, Gladwell's take on it is really interesting and, and nuanced. And I'm not going to try to rehash it here. Ultimately, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Gladwell came down mostly on Lavery's side of the issue. And the, the, the play continues to be produced regardless of those plagiarism charges and even transcends um, the the uh, kind of charges that were brought against it. The most recent production that I have on my list is from February two, 2018, um, and that was a revival at the Theater Royal Haymarket. Um, and I imagine I'd be I'd be really interested to kind of extend this uh, invite out to more people in our no script community. If you've seen this show, I imagine this play is a imminently producible show um there's some interesting uh uh work to do with dialect i suppose it is set in in england so uh you you, you have to do that well um uh but it's a three-hander um it's it's a play that uses a lot of imaginative space as hannah said uh, initially there's some monologue work in it um and and also kind of scene work as well so it's a play that's very producible a uh, play that I, i'd be excited to see myself um and uh yeah yeah, so so uh, hit us up in any of the places that you <laughs> that you uh, that you uh, uh, interact with our show, and we'd love to keep talking about this play's producibility because I think it's really really producible and tells a really um, brave story. Or uh, a lot of, uh, back in two thousand two, when a lot of when it was being produced in the, the early two early early aughts, people were saying how fresh and dangerous this play was, um, and I think. Some of that freshness, um, as more and more stories like the ones that are told in this one have been told since the early aughts, um, uh, I don't think that decreases the um, uh, the uh, visceralness and the dangerousness of this play. So, um, yeah, that's 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 uh, kind of been the scope of the play as it's been produced in in the uh, the the limited uh, time we have to talk about it here today. And excited to jump into the synopsis. Okay. I will give this my best shot. You got it. Okay. This is a play in two acts. Um, it starts... Hmm, no, here's here's how we'll do this. Uh, it starts with the three characters. Um, their, their timelines 
we'll call them timelines, their stories are um, mostly separate. They don't interact with each other at the start. Um, and then as the play progresses, um, their timelines and stories begin to interact a little bit more. Um, so we'll, we'll give a sort of overview of the overarching story, and then I'll go a little bit more into each character's uh, timeline. This is a play about three characters. Uh, Nancy, who is a mother. Uh, Ralph, who is the um, serial killing uh, pedophile. And Agnesa, who is a psychologist. Uh, yes, she's a psychologist um, from New York. Um, who uh, studies serial killers. Um, and what happens in the show is uh, Nancy's child, Rona, um, is abducted by Ralph um, and is also killed by Ralph. And uh, this is sort of the story of that happening. Um, Ralph eventually... Uh, being discovered and uh, taken into prison. Um, Agnetha coming to England to study Ralph and other serial killers like him. Um, and let's see, there's just so many pieces and it's not a plot driven structure exactly. So bear with me as I try to weave all of this together. Um, Nancy, the mom, um, starts going on this search uh, for her daughter. She continues and continues. 20 years go by. Um, and, and that's when Ralph is captured and um, or captured, arrested, sure, taken into custody. Yeah, um, yeah. as a result of a uh, another, uh, he, he tries to kidnap another girl um, 20 years later. Uh, we don't know exactly how many other times he's succeeded since he captured Rona, but in this instance, he fails. He's picked up by police, and uh, and Nancy is notified by the police that they have captured him and have found what is likely Rona's remains in uh, one of his like sheds, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and then the rest of the play is sort of a story of um, Ralph being in prison, Nancy finding out. Um, Nancy continuing to go through her grieving process, um, eventually uh, encouraged by her other daughter to uh, forgive Ralph um, and uh, going to the prison to forgive him. Um, meanwhile, Agnetha is, is uh, continuing to study Ralph. Uh, we'll talk more about what she discovers later. Uh, once Nancy has a conversation with Ralph, this uh, change happens in Ralph. There uh, is remorse that he finally shows, um, which eventually leads to his suicide. Um, and then the final moment of the play is uh, Nancy and Agnetha both at Ralph's funeral together. That ended up a little, a little bit more detailed in the overarching story than I meant to go. But um, let's see what... 
trying to think of beginning pieces of their stories that might be important as we head into this. Yeah, yeah, ni- nicely done. The synopsis is always hard to do. We're, we're, we're yeah. flying through trying to like tell tell the whole story of what is a really in depth sort of play. Um, uh, probably the other the other piece that I would want to kind of uh, just note as we go in, Agnetha is um, uh, kind of processing quite a bit as she arrives on the scene. The kind of opening moment that we see Agnetha on stage, she's clearly going through some stuff. Um, she's trying to talk herself into leaving from New York to go to London. And what we find out through the course of the play is that her longtime partner, uh, David, is the name that I wrote down. I forget the the, the full name of the of the doctor, but her longtime partner, David, recently died. Work, work partner. Work partner, thank you, yeah. Um, <laughs> turns out more than just a work partner, though, eventually. Um, uh, recently died in, in a car crash uh, where in which, you know, she says at least that he was completely on at fault. He was, you know, paying attention. He was buckled up, all the things. He just died as a runaway truck hit him um and uh two days prior they had had an affair together um he's he was a married uh, married man and they've been partners for a long time 10 years i think is talked about as as the length of their partnership um and uh right before he died they had this affair and she is kind of going through the process of grief around that as well as she engages ralph's story as she engages nancy's story um and uh so so that 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 is a lot of the content of that last scene at the funeral um is her revealing some of that information we we don't we don't find out a lot of this information all the way until the end of the play um uh but yeah so so all of these characters are kind of going through yeah just a whole lot of unpacking through the yeah, play yeah like their own grief journeys for some some for different things but they they each go on very different grief journeys which i think is one of the really cool things about this play is to watch those happen um parallelly (laughs) yeah and it's one of the like scarier parts of this play too because yeah we're on board with you know we're on board with nancy's grief journey for sure that 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 feels absolutely applicable um we're even like we are even accustomed to the narrative of having an affair and losing the person quickly um that's that's a grief story we are familiar with i think the dangerous part of this play what people have said is dangerous is engaging Ralph's story which mm-hmm. is this this individual who does a- an absolutely reprehensible thing mm-hmm. um uh and then Agnetha showing up and trying to understand why and by extension the audience us hearing some of the why um mm-hmm. and some of the pain of his story etc all while not shying away ever from the fact that this was awful rep- irreprehensible and how do we grapple with this in this person mm-hmm yeah. And I think um, one of the other interesting parts of Ralph's story, or maybe another dangerous part of Ralph's story, is um, like the the longing for justice by the 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 family members who have gone through all of this pain. Um, like we understand that, right? Like ever like there there's no question in anyone's head that they deserve justice um their stories they're the the little one that they lost like they they're like part of our longing is that there there be some sort of recompense for this terrible thing that was done um and the big question of the play that um agnetha's storyline really pushes is um 
what happens in Ralph's past that um, in in his child, his own childhood, that actually changes his brain chemistry um, so that he almost, you know, like he he didn't have a, a choice to become who he became. Um, but uh, for this play to propose even the idea of forgiveness being an important part of Nancy's journey, an important part of Ralph's journey. Um, and, and even Agnetha, as she studies um, serial killers and uh, w what happens and what changes go on in people's brains when things like their previous trauma happens to them. Um, it just like forgiveness on that level uh, is so massive um, and so painful and we hope ultimately healing. We think that it is for Nancy in the end, but my goodness, uh, what the, the audacity for, mm -hmm. for this playwright and for um, the characters in the show to suggest maybe forgiveness might be a good thing when this terrible, terrible thing has happened um, is, is a, I think a really important and, uh, meaningful um story to be telling especially honestly right now yeah yeah I, I i completely agree the way that um yeah the way this this is a play about forgiveness um and and that forgiveness the the route to forgiveness is is uh is is interesting um because because it's also a play about um, being frozen in a moment prior to that to to borrow like there's this there's the, the the play's title actually we don't we don't often like lean as heavily into the title <laughs> um as I think I'm about to on this on this podcast but the title of this play is really apt because each of these characters are kind of frozen in a in something um that um throughout the play moves them towards the opportunity to forgive. Um, interestingly, I don't know that they all take themselves up on the opportunity to forgive, which I'd be interested in your thoughts on. And I'll, I'll just kind of briefly lay out yeah. some of that because it is, it is a play about forgiveness for sure. And I think Nancy's journey is, is clearest in, in the, the kind of typical structure of that. She goes on the journey of loss, of, of, of anger, of wanting uh, multiple times, both her and her husband, Bob, like just say, we want to kill this person. We can't forgive them uh, for what they did. And she eventually gets the meeting with him, goes about the process of a really hard meeting and moves through forgiveness, even though it's hard and complicated and not, it's not like all great at the end either. It's still, still really fraught. Um, but that kind of move away from frozenness in her life is really evident as a result of that. Um, she freezes uh, uh, Rona's room um, mm -hmm. in time. She freezes her relationships with her daughter and her husband um, all until she finds out that Rona has been brought back or, or not brought back, has been found. Yeah. Um, and then it's the slow thaw of that 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 starts to unfreeze. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. That's a, a great way to describe what what Nancy specifically goes through there. Yeah. 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 And and so 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 her journey of unfrozenness into forgiveness is really clear. Um, Agnetha's is interesting, though, um, because she's frozen in this moment before that she left. Um, and some of her process is giving herself forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she quite 
makes it like I think I think uh, her path to forgiveness is kind of that that final scene that you described earlier where she's uh, finally confesses to Nancy because she needed to confess to someone that she had this affair with her work partner. Um, that sort of feels like the beginning of her journey that she has named um, that or just like ad admitted to someone that she did this thing. Um, and Nancy has this just uh, gut-wrenching line, sort of throws Agnetha's uh, yeah. research mm -hmm. words back at her, um, where it's it's this line where Agnetha describes the difference between, oh, what is it, it uh, an act? Uh, Jackson, your brain is better at oh, remembering oh, lines. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the 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 crimes of evil and crimes yes. of illness. Yes, yes, yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, that uh, crimes of evil have um, like sort of you're you're conscious of what you're doing and you choose to do it anyway. Um, crimes crimes of illness is more. Uh, you honestly had n no choice to be like there, like the way that you were formed there, your, your brain didn't have access to another choice to make. Um, and, uh, what, what Nancy says to Agnetha at the end is, you know what you were doing. You, you have to hold it. You have to suffer. It's, it's not gonna get better. Yeah. Which is brutal. Ugh. Oh, it's so brutal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, it's so brutal. Um, and I'm just so curious what her journey is going to be like after this play ends. Will she ever be able to get to a point of self-forgiveness? I don't know. And I don't know that the play invites us to think that she will eventually forgive herself. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it kind of leaves it in that liminal, um, uh, not not really sure <laughs> sort of sort of moment of of their final conversation together. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be it'd be interesting to kind of check back in with Agnetha someday mm -hmm. um, and kind of see what has has come about. But that's kind of the nature of theater too. You don't you don't get the sequel. I know. Um, you yeah. just get to talk about most it most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, uh, to kind of wrap up this theme of frozenness, we got to talk about Ralph then in that equation too, yeah, yeah, because um, his frozenness is kind of born out of this trauma that he's had. Some of it is like physical trauma, like having fallen multiple times and hit his head, mm -hmm. also been like hit um, by family members before. We yeah. pieced together his story. He's 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 a very um, the way this character is written is a very uh, magnetic person um, uh, and also a person who doesn't, it's really hard to get a, a like a, a hold on. Mm -hmm. um, so some, we piece together some of his story from his conversations with Agnetha and it's clear that he suffered um, physical, likely some sort of sexual abuse when he was young. Probably um, a lot of neglect too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And then also had these kind of multiple head trauma sorts of moments. So that, that that's all part of this sort of complicated morass that um the playwright <laughs> gives us uh, uh that Lavery gives us as as um this this person um who is is frozen in those moments frozen in those uh, or in the consequences of those moments mm -hmm. and is thus uh able to do these reprehensible things 
um, without um, connecting to the reprehensiveness of it. In yeah. fact, at one point he says he straight up wishes they were legal. Yeah. Oh, it's a ter- that's one of like the most terrifying things he says when he's with another person is, I just wish it were legal. And Agnes is like, what and he's like yeah to kill children i wish it were legal and it's like oh my gosh yeah how 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 do you I, what uh yeah it's uh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 a rough this play is rough in some segments especially kind of sitting in the room anytime ralph is on stage there's lots of so there's that there's the way he treats agnatha mm-hmm. um very um predatory in his his behavior um so so then watching his journey of unfrozenness mm-hmm. um uh starts I think starts with Nancy the conversation with Nancy. Yeah. It's it's not maybe maybe Ag- uh, almost certainly actually I'll say Agnetha's um uh talking with him kind of tees him up for the moment with Nancy. Yeah. Um but it's Nancy that actually like gets him to register something. Um, and, and the last kind of beats of the play is him like starting to feel something like remorse and not knowing how to deal with that at all. Yeah. There's his, his journey through all of that is really interesting because I think when Agnetha comes into his story there, um, it's all monologues until a scene where Agnetha talks to Ralph um, in, in one of those visitor rooms. And, um, she is, I bet one of the first people who, um, doesn't just, uh, treat him with disdain and hatred. Like you, part of one of his earlier monologues is describing what like the police officers or guards or other people have said to him. No one has shown him any compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but Agnetha, when she comes in, she takes an interest in his story in a way that isn't accusatory, but is just curious. Um, so I think that that tiny thing sets him up uh, for something what, what exactly what you described. Um, and then uh, Agnetha tries to get out of him more pieces of his story, and he kind of like he he lies he describes a very different childhood than he actually had and like Agnetha calls him on it he doesn't deny that he lied um but Agnetha just says like that's okay your childhood is also private and he says yes it is um but then one of the very next scenes is Nancy coming to visit him and he actually admits to Nancy a couple of the things that happened to him um so it just like it's it's this uh Jackson said it so beautifully like this teeing up of um like e- even being able to like say here's here are some of the things that I went through um and for him to be able to access his own childhood pain Nancy then says all right if you understand that you were hurt do you see that you hurt my little one, you hurt Rona. Yeah. And he finally is able to see that he hurt Rona and he starts to cry and he doesn't know what to do about it. He like rubs his eyes fiercely and like he he starts freaking out um, and tells her to leave. Um, 
calls her a very bad word and uh, apo- immediately apologizes for it. And it's one of the first times that like the stage directions say authentically apologizes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was one more piece of this. Um, oh, right. Uh, Agnetha comes to sort of say goodbye. She's headed back to New York and he starts saying like, I think I have like lung cancer or something. There's this terrible pain in my chest all the time. And the doctors say that nothing's wrong with me. And Agnetha is like, when did it start? And he says, it's when Nancy came to see me. It was right after she came to see me. And, um, Agnetha says, I think you're starting to have access to feeling remorse about the things that you did. And he kind of brushes it off and is like, it's lung cancer. (laughs) Um, but, then one of the next scenes, one one of his last monologues is him trying to write an apology letter to Nancy, um, which like he can't go through. Like it's it's such a heartbreaking scene because he keeps trying and trying and trying to write this letter and uh, he can't bear to feel that remorse. So he like writes it and then spits on the letter and then uh, puts it in an envelope. And then tears it apart and then tries to put all the pieces back together. It's just like this very painful Mm -hmm. back and forth between feeling the remorse and then not bearing to feel the remorse, which I think eventually leads to the the total unthaw for him, which is he feels the totality of that remorse and can't bear it. And it leads to his end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in that way, you kind of see the, the the three forms or the three ways that, that the moment of, I don't know, it, it may be a little bit of a stress to say that the moment of forgiveness arrives for him, like his his uh, feeling of that remorse um, and uh, his ability to uh, still live with himself um, stops. <laughs> um, he, he can't move into a moment of forgiveness for himself enough to live even with that remorse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so you have, yeah, you have that final scene where he's trying, he's trying more tactics to try to deal with this remorse. He's trying to work out, he's trying to exert himself. Um, but eventually he can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so, so you have, yeah, you have, you have that. It's just interesting to see the thaw of these three characters from their state of frozenness into a state of awareness mm-hmm. of their frozenness and then the consequences of those things and, and see it play out really differently for all three of them. Definitely. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of pivot us just Absolutely. a tad um, because we're, we're, we got a little bit of time left, but I wanted to, I wanted to give you just a, a moment longer to kind of talk about why this, why the show <laughs> um yeah. as as we've laid out in our conversation um it's a rough show it's a rough show <laughs> it's an important show it tells an important part of uh, uh a, a story that is really important but uh but yeah what what about this show um has drawn you to it um uh, for this moment or in moments before as you've interacted with this show yeah um those sorts of shows, rough shows that tell important stories or stories that we sort of shove away because they're too painful to talk about, um, are stories that I gravitate towards. Um, just because I think they're, they're, they're too important, um, to, to stare that pain, that grief, um, 
and and eventually even forgiveness in the face, um, I think is something we often tend to not do in everyday life. Some people do. I think we as a society are um, in, in some ways getting better at that. Um, but so I just think that um, because it is that sort of a story, um, it is important. And that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to offer this. Um, but then also I'll go back to a little bit of what I mentioned at the beginning um, is that that uh, the method of storytelling, these monologues that eventually weave together into a story that connects. Um, I don't think there's ever a moment where all three of the characters are in one conversation at the same time. Um, they might all be on stage yeah, at the same part, time. Yeah. Hopefully we can very briefly talk about that before we end here. Um, but uh, to have each character tell their own story to us in very different ways. Um, so one of the things I noticed um, as I was reading is like when you, you start with Agnetha, the doctor, um, and her, her scenes by herself are so much um, like she's talking to herself. She, she talks to herself a lot. Um, she, you, we get to see her writing a really angry email to uh, her colleague, David, who has just died. Um, all of that. But, but it's sort of like we get to peek in on her conversations with herself. She's not necessarily breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you kind of just get a little window. Um, and she doesn't just come out and say all of the things that are happening to her. You kind of have to piece it together um, as you go through her scenes. Um, so that's, that's one way, but then you get to Nancy, um, who like, she just breaks the fourth wall all the time. Right. Uh, she just like her, her stories are much more descriptions of the things that have happened to her, um, her feelings and interpretations of those things. But she's the one who also like all of the other, uh, characters in the story who aren't um, characters you see on stage, like her husband, Bob, her daughter, Ingrid, um, her mom, uh, whose name I've forgotten, the grandma of the family, um, even even Rona, briefly, um, you get all of those other characters because she quotes her conversations with them. So like she she sort of represents the this larger community of people that this um, crime has impacted. Um so she she just has like these these multitudes of stories in her that she actually communicates to you. Where like with Agnetha's story, you kind of have to like take little tweezers and go like, okay, I think that was an important thing. And what about that? We're gonna hopefully learn more about that later. Um, but but Nancy just like lays it all out on the table yeah, for you. Mm -hmm. She doesn't hold anything back. And then you get to Ralph, um, who. I almost don't even know what to say about his stuff. Like it's, he, he sort of does break the fourth wall, but it's, it's, it's almost as if he's talking to himself. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. because Nancy, when she's describing things, she knows you might have a different interpretation of the thing than she does. But Ralph's monologues are more like, let me explain to you why I did this. Or like, 
of course it was this way. Don't you see? Um, it, it's, I don't know. His things are just so, it's so fascinating. He interrupts himself all the time. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah, he, it, it, it's, uh, in his monologues, you can kind of see the the brokenness and trauma in his brain, even if he can't um, mm-hmm. in, in those moments. Um, and I... I just really love that sort of storytelling to have um, each of these people get to tell their story in their own very different way. Um, and we as an audience get to interact with them in, a, in each a very different way. Um, I just think that's a really cool storytelling method. Um, it's it's uh, th- This play is like both sort of a, a feminine plot structure and a male masculine plot structure mm-hmm. like there there is technically an overarching story but also there's all this other stuff going on at, at the same time there's not there's sort of a climax but not exactly a climax it's it's a little all beautifully all over the place yeah yeah definitely and that that's that it is very particular of lavery style of of playwriting um and and the way that i i think you're right on with with kind of talking about how these how this um this way um, that these characters get to tell their story is so special. Um, it's one of the the really cool things about theater, um, and and why uh, this this play takes full advantage of what theater can offer in terms of them telling their story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, in the monologues. Yes, in the way that um, they they are written uh, to kind of make you wonder whether they're talking to you or whether they're talking to themselves or uh, what degree of fourth wall breaking is happening. Um, and then also the ways that they very theatrically use each other. I imagine this is a very imaginative uh, play to try to block mm-hmm. um, uh, because uh, the, just just the there's the opportunity that all three of them are on stage at the throughout the play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the opportunity that's you know two of them are on at a time, one of them are on at a time. There's some specificity called for in that we know for sure that scenes where they're talking to each other, people are on stage at the same time. But also that like there's a scene where uh, Agnetha is doing a presentation mm-hmm. before like we know that she's in some sort of conference hall but she crosses into Ralph's space to like illustrate what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. <laughs> um, really, yeah, it's a really cool scene and something that, that yeah, it's, it's a very theatrical scene, uh, but then draws those two characters together in a moment that they're not together, um, but you experience them together mm-hmm. um, in each other's context for that moment still. One, one of the other things, this isn't why I chose this play, but just another thing that I think is really notable about this play is uh, it's very Greek in the way that almost none of the violence is shown on stage yeah. until you get to Ralph's suicide at the end. That's the only bit of violence that actually occurs on stage. And I imagine you could make uh, choices about n- not even having that happen on stage. But like... Um, the, the thing that happens at the very beginning of the play is you get the context for the moment that Ralph abducts Rona, the little girl. You you get Agnetha telling, like, here's all the things that happened and I've sent Rona out to bring these gardening shears back to her grandmother and she's been gone a while. And uh, there's a sound cue in the middle of that um, for you to hear a van screeching. Um, and then it cuts to... Ralph um 
talking about his his leg hurting and needing to take the edge off and then he starts talking to another person who you don't see you like you and we I think assume that the the person he's talking to is Rona so you get um you get parts of his conversation with Rona you get the lead up to what we know is a truly terrible act um but it it stops before we witness anything it's just it's just enough so that we we know what's about to happen um and i yeah again i just think that's a a, a really interesting way to to parallel all of these ways that these characters are telling their stories that that again with nancy she is so often recounting things that have happened to her. You don't often see those things happen to her. She is just telling you about them after they've happened. Um, and that, that is sort of kept as a theme, even with, with the really hard things, um, mo- most of the really hard uh, physical things in this play, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that that, that kind of mirrors their journey is is, yeah, that's well put of like, yeah, the, the the sort of like visceralness of their story is one that is talked about but not shown in a lot of sort of scenarios. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting near to the end of our, our time on this podcast, but I would be remiss and I would rob our, <laughs> our uh, <laughs> no script folks of the chance to uh, have you weigh in just on the poetry uh, uh, of, of this. And we've done it a little bit already, but I wanted to be sure to give you give you a moment to talk about because. Um, this this play is it has a very interesting structure on the page, as you kind of talked about at the beginning. Um, and in addition to a theater artist, you're also a poet. Um, and uh, just love to hear how the um, yeah the 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 formatting of this play, all the the poetry of this play, the way the lines are written affect the way the story is delivered. Yeah, I think Lavery uses a couple tour tours. <laughs> tools particularly well um and they they show up in in some people's uh speech more more than others um she she uses things like uh capitalization um there there's a bunch of times when nancy's talking where um every word will begin with a capital letter in whatever sentence she's Mm -hmm. um or yeah (laughs) <laughs> every, every word in a sentence will begin with a capital letter um, and you kind of have to decide how how are those things being emphasized um, which is interesting because a lot of other tools for emphasis also happen she uh, Lavery also uses um, italics as that um, she uses uh, ellipses um, often when there's sort of this interruption happening in a person's thought, or it's that's more of like a trailing off. Um, but also she uses line breaks um, as a, a sort of a tool, both, both for trailing off, but just like a, almost a can't bear to finish the sentence sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and to have um, all of those pieces, um, there for the benefit of the actor who is interpreting how um, these words might be spoken, um, I just think is so, 
so helpful. And, and it's a, it's a gift that the audience doesn't get. Right. Um, but, uh, it, it invites the actors to have a different relationship with these words, um, to, to think differently about how this character feels about their own words. Like I, I said earlier, Ralph interrupts himself a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one other thing that Lavery uses, I think really powerfully is repetition. Um, with Ralph, there's, there's a couple phrases that he, it, it's again, sort of like he's stuck with these certain phrases. He, he says, obviously a lot. Um, but there, there was one moment that I caught this time. I, I don't think I caught it. Um, the last time that I read the script was, which was several years ago, and I don't think I caught it. I, I actually have seen this produced on stage by a very small theater company. So everything you said in the beginning hey. is true. It is very producible. <laughs> uh, you just dial, di- dialect work and uh, being okay with the content matter subject matter um are kind of the biggest hurdles um but uh there's this really beautiful moment um i think this all happens during the first act where there there are these parallels that happen um it's in nancy's story um it's many years after rona has um been missing and uh, she hasn't yet found out what has happened to her. And she's stuck in that space of, are we ever going to know what happened to her? Is she going to just show up at the house someday and say, Mom, here here I am. Hi, Mom, it's me. Um, yeah, Mom, Mom, it's me, I think is what she says. Um, like she, she paints this picture for the audience of how she imagines this happening and she at this point you know that she has created this entire organization dedicated to finding children who go missing and she has just gone through this very powerful speech to all of her organization folks about how it the the work is important and it matters because they they just found and reunited a a boy who had been missing for like 13 years with his parents um but then you get this moment of her saying, I here, here is how I long for Rona to come back to me. Um, and then she doesn't get that. She she's told by the police that they've they found her remains. Um, but uh, one thing we didn't get to talk about a lot, which why I won't talk too much about, but it's her relationship with her other daughter, yeah. Ingrid. Mm-hmm. Um, Ingrid goes on her own grief journey. Um talks about dreams she's had um kind of goes through an emotional eating phase um but then in in the midst of of um one of the things it's after they found out what happened to rona she says to her mom i'm going to go abroad and uh i i just need to be gone for a while um nancy's kind of mad about that doesn't understand um but then you get this moment where She's in the midst of her her own grief and anger at Ralph about all the things that he's done. And um, Ingrid shows up at the house in exactly the way that she has described Rona coming home. Mm. And she says, Mom, it's me. Yeah. Um, so 
I just think that that the way these tiny little parallels and and larger parallels, but like there there are these parallels that happen in in the language, um, in told moments in in this script that are in at, at their heart very poetic because I think that's that's one of my favorite things my, my favorite tools in poetry is that use of repetition that becomes a turn um, mm-hmm. it it may have started this one way but by the time we repeat it you are invited to think about it or experience it in a, in a totally different um, way and I just think that's so so powerful about this script in particular mm-hmm we, we're, we're alas at the end of our time for this particular podcast. And there is so much more that oh, we can man, talk about. So like, much we, work. like Ingrid is such an interesting storyline. I'm yeah. glad that you brought her up at, at the very end there. She's also the one that has the dream about like the ice flow oh, yeah. and the cracking sounds that we could talk about the technical aspects of the show with. There's a number of sound cues where like ice cracking is mm-hmm. one of those things that are called for. Yep. So much stuff in yeah. there. One other thing that we didn't get to talk about that we won't talk about, but you should know that it's there. <laughs> um, there's a guard that shows up on stage and there's only three actors. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with the fact that, that, like, why is that guard there? Why is it, wh- why can't we mime that guard? And you should go read the script and uh, talk to uh, Jackson and Jacob about why you think that guard is there. Because <laughs> I have thoughts that I'm not going to share with you right now, but talk to them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, give it just a little bit. It's it's the guest episode. Give us your thoughts at least, and then we'll pass it on to everyone else. Okay. Um, So you only have these three characters, or three three actors, um, and Lavery has chosen to make this guard a tangible character on stage in scenes where um, Agnetha is talking to Ralph and then later when Nancy is talking to Ralph, um, you aren't told to have another person play that guard. So the only option is for the actor who's not actively involved in the scene to be that guard. Um, the only option. The the most a immediate. Option, yeah, a prominent yeah. option. Um, there's, so, there's, there's never an only option in theater. Um, but... <laughs> but um, to to see um, during those scenes with Agnetha and Ralph, uh, Nancy is playing the guard, um, w- watching over their conversation, um, is odd and yeah. also very powerful for for there to be this uh, these these other presences in the room which like their their faces we might associate with these other storylines but um, the one time that I saw it uh, they each totally dressed up in like very obvious guard uniforms so that you didn't mistake them for representing their own character but like that's still the actor playing Nancy right I, I know that I see that um, and those guards have previously been described as these really violent, powerful, or potentially violent, powerful forces in Ralph's story. So to have those being the only moments when all three actors are in one scene at the same time, it's just like, oh, making, making 
those other storylines, those sort of powerful and potentially violent um, forces. Uh, it's just, I just think it's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> that that is fascinating to think about. And fortunately, we can continue yeah. to think about it as Hannah's already um, advocated. Um, if you uh, want to keep chatting about this play, you can do so. Though the conversation has ended on this particular podcast episode, we'd love to extend the conversation out to all of you out there in podcast land. If you have seen this play, read this play, been a part of this play in any way, just uh, enjoyed the conversation and heard something that you want to chat about with someone else who has read this play, we're the folks to do that with and the greater no script listener base <laughs> all of we need to come up with a name for you all eventually um uh, uh our great folks to do that with as well you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites but especially the social media sites because we'd love to keep having this conversation with you and we would love to extend the conversation out to the whole community as well um, additionally, if you've enjoyed this conversation, if you've enjoyed any of the conversations that NoScript has had this season, we're coming down to the end of our season here, and it's been a pretty fun one, at least for me. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's been a great one, but that's ultimately up to you all to decide. It's been fun for me. Um, we love uh, it. If you uh, have enjoyed the show, if you could share it around with people that you know like scripts, people that you know like theater, people that you know like talking about theater. Um, we're hosted on Podbean. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. We're on a lot of, a lot of places, a lot of things. Um, uh, so you can follow us, follow us on any of those sites. We also post the link directly to Facebook every Monday when we release the show. So uh, uh, share around those those uh, links and options for folks who are engaging with the show for the first time. Y'all are great at doing that already, and it's part of making this show uh, continue to happen. So thank you all so much for that. And thank you, Hannah, for coming on the show as a special guest for this season. Absolutely. It's been a deep pleasure. And thank you guys for uh, letting me pitch the script for this week and saying, yes, I had a lot of fun today. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for bringing it. Is there anything uh, that you want to like, you know, pitch for people? Do you, you want anyone to come <laughs> and find you somewhere? Or uh, are you doing any work online right now with either theater or poetry or something? Yeah, um, I think... If, if you are interested in reading some of the things that I write, uh, one of the easiest ways to find me is by looking up Wayfolk Arts on Instagram. Um, it's a, a group that I am a part of um, that posts uh, tiny little written pieces regularly. Um, we create some really fun things. Jackson also happens to be um, among that community. Um, and I'd love for you to come and uh, check out my work over there. Um, again, that is at Wayfolk Arts on uh, particularly Instagram. And it's um, W-A-Y-F-O-L-K-A-R-T-S. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. Head on over and check that out. Thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Um, uh, next week, we're doing our last episode of the season. So uh, don't worry. It's not the last episode of the show or anything. We're at 10 seasons and we're still going strong. Um, but we are going to take our kind of typical summer break after next episode. But the next episode, Jacob will return. Um, and uh, he and I will have our final conversation of season 10 of No Script, the podcast. But until that next week, when we are talking about another script, 
I'm Jackson Nikolai. And I'm Hannah Barker Nikolai. Thank you for listening to No Script, the podcast.